when I started, I had to walk on a treadmill. I mean, it was like walk on a treadmill for 10 minutes and then it was maybe a light jog for five minutes. And, and that's kind of just where my journey started. And I was like 32. And then you fast forward now 41 and I'm training for, you know, a half Ironman world championship race. That's going to be in four weeks. So it's, it's remarkable. I mean, it, there's times where I just take a step back. Like I did that this week and I was like, man, how, you know, this, this is incredible. <laughs> you know, I, I should have died. It, it was, um, it was pretty bad at one point, but, um, but I'm grateful, you know, that obviously didn't happen. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 53 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. By all accounts, Don Snellings is very lucky to still be with us, but I'm grateful he is and chose to share his addiction, recovery, and endurance sports journey in the hopes it could help and inspire others. For nine clean years, recovery via meetings and outreach to others has come first, followed by training, which has been his anchor and kept him grounded. He began walking, running on the treadmill because he loved running in high school and it added balance to his life. It took him another four years to break his smoking habit and his results have been truly remarkable since. From a 3.30 debut marathon down to 2.42 at CIM, working with former 10K New Zealand Olympian and 2.15 marathoner coach John Henwood. Dipping his toe in the tri-waters due to a chance meeting with his coach Brian Hammond at spin cycle class at the onset of the pandemic, to grinding hard for 18 months, and qualifying for the World Age Group Championships at 70.3. We discuss addiction, recovery, his running tri-journey, the New York City running community, nutrition, fueling, blood work, injuries, stress fractures, coaches, mentors, John Henwood, Brian Hammond, community service with others in recovery, the Achilles organization as part of New York Roadrunners, his fixed bespoke recovery studio, and world age group 70.3 champs. I know Don from the local New York City running community, and I'm so thankful he came on and was so open about his inspiring journey. For all listeners of this episode who need a pre-post at New York City Marathon treatment at his fixed New York City studio, you can use code RONRUNSNYC for 20% off any treatment. I hope you all enjoy this as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good morning, Don Snellings. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? I'm doing great, Ron. Good to be here. Yeah, local run, local New York City running community connection, man. We got it. We had to finally get this together. We talked about doing it over at the Fix Studio for a long time, but COVID came and crashed that party on us, right? I know. Who knows how long this will be today? <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? So um, for people outside uh, of the New York City area, how about you just do a little intro for everybody, tell everybody where you grew up, what was family life like as a kid, et cetera. So Don Snellings, I live in New York City and now also Florida. Uh, Grew up in Florida, oldest of six kids, oldest pretty much in the whole of my whole generation of, uh, you know, cousins growing up. Um. Went to college down there, University of Miami. You know, was very uh, a huge Miami Hurricane fan. My whole family is. 
Um, so stayed local, stayed down there through college, and, and then followed a couple of friends up to New York shortly after. Love it. So oldest of six. So everybody's following your lead. You're like surrogate dad. Um, everybody's following your footsteps or not saying, am I going to do what Don does? I'm going to do my own, my own thing for sure. But uh, you probably had that extra pressure on from the parents to try to keep people in line, right? Definitely had that. <laughs> Love it. And uh, Miami, South Beach, University of Miami, I played uh, in the College uh, college World Series, well, not in the College World Series, leading up to the College World Series. We played against Miami at uh, Mark Light Stadium. So been down there, played games down there, and uh, that was pretty cool. So you got, you're got you used to that hot weather, man, which is going to serve you well as you continue your triathlon career and, and try to make your way to Kona eventually, right? That's definitely the goal, and it's definitely helping. Yeah, no doubt. So I'm glad you explained the Florida thing because I know um, I saw so many of your posts of late where you've been down there doing training, and I was just like, "Damn, this guy's got a got it rolling. He's got the fixed thing up in New York, and he's he's down doing tri training in Florida." I was like, "All right, cool, man. He's I guess he's just taking a little break from uh, from work." So were you just kind of managing things remotely and and really putting in the time down there? Was that kind of the plan? Yeah. So the you know. I also, in addition to running a, a wellness studio in the city and training, work uh, in advertising and I work at Yelp. And uh, I was hired remotely. I mean, everyone's working remotely these days. A lot of people are, I should say, not everybody. And, uh, you know, being winter and things shut down, um, you know, I, I was just like, it just made total sense for me to just go down for a few months in January. And, uh, I, I, I just fell in love with it again. It was, it was nice just being home with like family and friends. And I ended up just getting a nice little place, nothing special, but just a mile from the beach. And, uh, now the plans, you know, we're going to re work remote. I think as far as we can tell, like, you know, the CEO is completely on board. And, um, so it, it fits in perfectly for training and, and this lifestyle. Love it. That is just a great uh, meshing of work life and the personal life. If ever, if ever, ever heard of the story, so um, I just want to step back to the the large family. Um, growing up in that large family environment, um, most times it's very competitive. But you never know; it could be the age group of kids could be so far spread apart. It's really not. What was the family dynamic like with all of you? So, I'd say, well, my mom remarried when I was um, just starting high school. So we were, you know, six kids put under one roof. Um, you know, in these like transforming years, but the interesting thing is we all got along very well. Um, and we're all, we're all quite different. Um, I'm more the athlete in the family. Um, and there's, you know, the person that's into drama and theater and there's, there's everything, you know, across the board. So I wouldn't call it competitive, but, um, you know, it was definitely quite a dynamic. So you had your own real life Brady bunch, man. You had a sick, you had six. I love it. And you're, you're the oldest, so you got to be in charge, at least for, to some degree, which is kind of cool. Um, so what was your sports history as a kid? Like, what were you involved in? What sports did you like? And uh, how did that, like, lead you to running? Great question. So growing up in Florida, you play baseball. Um, <laughs> and you also play football. And, and those were two things, you know, I played, you know, as, from, a, from a, the time of being just like a little kid to um, up until high school. And when I got to high school, I was, you know, five foot tall, a hundred pounds wet and, uh, you know, go figure making the basketball team was, was a little difficult. And I was going to this, uh, Catholic prep school and 
my mom was, uh, you know, working a few jobs to put me through this school. And she was like, Hey, you better get involved. <laughs> We're not doing this for no reason. So I had an uncle that ran cross country, um, her brother, and he was like, why don't you try, try out for the cross country team? And, and I did, and I ended up, you know, the first year was kind of a flop. It was just something I kind of did. And it was hard. Like, you know, I didn't know how to like really push myself, but something happened after that first year when we met again in the summer leading up to the fall where I, I started to like fall in love with it and take it serious. And um, I started to become really good at it. So it's the Prefontaine story, except not in Oregon, you're in Florida, yeah. you know, really too small for football, like basketball, but it really wasn't going to happen at your height and your weight. So, and mom was like, you got to be active. You got to do something. So good for her. She got you, you know, pushed in that direction. And it's cool. You know, like we don't, when we start out with a sport, like you said, Florida's baseball, I was a college D1 baseball player. So I wouldn't trade that being my favorite sport forever. Like people have always said to me, oh, do you wish you started running in high school or college? I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I love what I was doing, man. I wouldn't trade any of that for anything. Maybe I would have wished I would have started a little sooner, like my later 20s or something versus like my mid 30s. But, you know, I feel like I've gotten everything out of running you could ever hope for. Um, and in your case, um, it wasn't a first love but you found out you were good at it. So in, in your prep school days, you had pretty good success, like in high school and all with your running, right? Like what were your, what were your events and you know, what were you doing the best in at that age? So cross country, you know, I was, you know, top two, three on the team. We went to States. Um, I could have, you know, went to a smaller D one school, um, but decided, you know, I, that's not something I want. That's not the way I wanted to, uh, live my college career. I will also say that I became, a, I was also a wrestler. So I wrestled um, these really light weights. I was like, you know, 103, 112, 119. And that was something I also went to States for as well. And, and, and I was successful in. And, um, and I really liked both sports because they were, you know, individual, I'd say. I mean, you know, you scored points for your team, but, at, you know, when you lined up, you know, it was, it was just you, you know, it was kind of like on you to like perform. And, um, I, I really enjoyed that. And I did track and I, I did the mile and two mile and, and I was okay, but I, I just really liked cross country and, and wrestling that that's just like what I really enjoyed in high school. It, it makes sense because you really liked football and you wanted to play football, but you're a smaller kid. So sometimes that's taken off the table. Sometimes you're allowed to play, but most times either a coach or a parent or both parents is like, nah, you're not playing high school football at your size. It's not, it's too risky. Um, so wrestling brings out the feistiness, the competitiveness. I wrestled too. I wrestled 122 pounds and uh, it's amazing that we're wrestling those weights and, you know, what we weigh now and we're, we're fit, you know, we're not like overweight or anything. We're fit, lean people. But I, my mom used to say, the second wrestling is over, you're coming back to the table and you're going to eat every single thing there is. And, you know, by the time baseball season would come around, I'd be 20 pounds heavier. It's, it's hard to believe that you could have that much of a swing, but that was normal back then, or at least it was normal to me and probably kid, any kid like you that also wrestled and, you know, it was, a, it was a cool sport, man. It develops your competitiveness. Yeah, it definitely was like one-on-one, -on -one, time to go. And I remember the first time I did it, it was like a, a Thanksgiving meet. And the times were a little less because it was like preseason. And it was like, all right, you're going to go one minute, one minute, and one minute. And I think it's two minutes, you know, per three rounds when you're in, in season. And I was so like gassed <laughs> after one period of one minute. 
I was like, what is this sport? <laughs> I love it. I love your recollection of that too. Cause yes, it is. It's two, two, two. And you know, you play football, you play all these other sports and you're fit. You just have no idea how exhausting it is to have somebody leaning on you and pushing on you and pulling on you. And then you, you know, doing the same and trying to use weight and leverage. But yeah, then we used to have to try to cut weight, man. We wear these plastic rubber suits and like run around and run stairs. They turn the heat up in the locker room and do all these insane things that were dangerous. But thank God we're both still here. So, you know, we came out of it. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was nuts. We, we, I'd have like maybe like one little cup of noodles, <laughs> a little cup of cranberry juice, you know, the day before to, to cut weight. And that's, that's obviously not very healthy. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's crazy. Um, and we certainly know in, in women's sports, uh, you know, we both know of Mary Kane and her story and so many other women runners and men runners. It's not, uh, you know, p plenty of men suffer with uh, food disorders, particularly runners or elite athletes, swimmers, maybe even that are trying to just feel like they need that extra edge. They need to be at that super lightest weight. And no surprise, things break. You know, stress fractures happen. Um, other anxiety disorders overcome and, and pressure can tend to overwhelm. So, man, I know for me personally, I'm thankful <laughs> nothing crazy came out of those years for me because it isn't healthy, man. There's nothing healthy about it at all. I mean, other than being on the team and competing for points and trying to win, those things are very healthy. But the weights and coaches trying to get you to go to your lowest possible weight. I mean, there were kids on our team that weighed 220 and 230 from football and they're wrestling 180 and 170 something. I mean, this, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So yeah, pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Well, we're still here, which is, which is the good news. So, uh, what about college? So running high school, it clicks. It's good. Um, what about college? Are you, are you still running in college at this point or are you just going off to school, having fun, doing, doing the regular thing and running is not really part of it? Yeah. Go off to college, not university of Miami, as I said, and it was like our glory days, you know, <laughs> we won national championships in football and it was South beach glory days. So I, I just, you know, I used that time. I joined like a jock fraternity and um, we were, you know, had our high school stories we swapped and, and that, it, you know, basically we just like lifted weights and, you know, fast forward, I was probably like 160 from like 100, you know, it was <laughs> maybe up to 175 at one point. I mean, it was, it was pretty wild. Like how much, when I came back from how much weight I put on, when I came back from college, you know, you see your friends at the holidays and they're like, what happened to you? <laughs> so it was, yeah, running was running definitely went to the sidelines. Um, it was, you know, lifting weights and, and chasing women, honestly, and, and, uh, and just enjoying college. Hey, that's, that's what college is for almost all of us. Um, you know, of course, other people have different experiences. And if, if you are playing D1 sport and you're actually on the field a lot and you're, you're, being part of that uh, that chase, if you will, to win a championship or to make it to NCAs and in individual events or whatever, those can be very different experiences, but not necessarily good. They can be awful experiences, you know, where kids hated their coach or, you know, they just never hit their own potential or they sabotage their own, you know, chances for success because of applying too much pressure, trying to feel like they want to hold on their scholarship, earn their scholarship. So, um, and then there's the other huge group, which is just, it's, it's a party, man. It's time to go have fun, time to drink and, and do crazy things and chase women and the women chase the boys. And, you know, that's what, you know, that's what most of us do. So it's not, not terrible. And, uh, so, so running is kind of on hold at that point. 
It's more of the frat life, the party life. Um, where do you, where do you transition back into your life where running and sports? Because triathlon is much really later for you, at least from my understanding of it. And you'll you'll get into that in further detail as we talk. But when does running really like come back into the picture for you? So running here and there, you know, like from it, from twenties to early thirties, um, my lifestyle becomes one of the party continues. <laughs> I come up to New York. I'm living a fast life. I'm in after hour clubs. Um, clients have got home the day before. <laughs> um, if you catch my drift and, um, I get caught up in this, this lifestyle that leads to pretty heavy addictions in, you know, with alcohol and, and drugs and, um, and it almost killed me. I mean, it's, you know, I ended up in, in multiple like rehabs and um, finally woke up in one when I was 32 and was like, it's time to put all this to an end. And I felt like I, I had a little grace and, and I was finally listening to, you know, able to listen to some suggestions and my life just changed from that day. I, I actually started using running to really help me physically get over addiction and um, and also physically helped me get back to some sort of like state of balance because I, I was having problems where I couldn't even like, like I had no balance. Like I couldn't even, like I could, I, when I started, I had to walk on a treadmill. I mean, it was like walk on a treadmill for 10 minutes and then it was maybe a light jog for five minutes. And, and that's kind of just where my journey started. And I was like 32. Um, and then you fast forward now 41 and. I'm training for, you know, a half Ironman world championship race. That's going to be in four weeks. So it's, it's remarkable. I mean, it, there's times where I just take a step back. Like I did that this week and I was like, man, how, you know, this, this is incredible. <laughs> you were, I was going to, I was, you know, I, I should have died. It, it was, um, it was pretty, it was pretty bad at one point, but, um, but I'm grateful, you know, that obviously didn't happen. Well, it's, it's fantastic that you're sharing, you know, the dark spots, the dark times, because um, I've had people on the show have tried to commit suicide. I've had people with severe eating disorders. I've had people with awful postpartum depression. I mean, alcohol, drug recovery. Um, it's just one of many things that can happen to us in life. And in your case, you were 32. Um, and from my friends who've been through recovery, whether it's from drugs or alcohol or a combination of both, um, in the cases of the people that I know really, really closely that have shared their whole story with me, many times it doesn't matter if the mom, the dad, brothers, sisters, people you love and people you care about are telling you, you got to get it together, you got to do this, doesn't matter. They, they got to hit some point where they've actually truly like hit bottom. And, you know, in your case, I'm wondering, was it a couple of times? Was it two or three times? You know, what was the family situation like? Or at that point where you just, because you were up in New York, you said, obviously, when, you know, this is kind of developing and very common, by the way. Um, but like, how did it kind of evolve for you before you hit that point where you just said, okay, here's my point now. I got to like plant my feet on the ground here and I got to figure this thing out. I mean, I went through a, a number of bottoms. I mean, it, you know, your bottoms when you stop digging and, um, for me, it was, well, I lost a number of jobs. Um, my family stopped talking to me. They, they were just worried that, you know, they were going to get that phone call. And um, they just kind of, it, it just was at the point where it was just too upsetting for them. And, um, and I finally was like, 
you're going to become a bum. Like, and you're, you, you know, you're going back to the family, like dynamic as a kid, like, you know, I was the oldest looked up to, um, that wasn't the case anymore. And I just, you know, decided that that was like a big point for me. It was just like, you've been fired for multiple jobs. At one point, all of my things were in garbage bags and I had like, you know, $500 Gucci loafers on and I'm like running around, you know, these, you know, these cheap hotels in, in central Florida. And there's some pretty wild stories. Um, but, uh, yeah, one, one other point, you know, I was at a rehab and, um, it was actually, I don't know why they placed this across the street from like a hard rock casino in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. And I remember, you know, I was checking myself out against medical advice and my, and my family was like, we're never going to see him again. Like, this is it. So that was, you know, there was, there was definitely some low points that I can recall. Um, hope that was helpful. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's incredibly helpful. And you know, the thing about it is no matter how much the family's trying to help until that person feels that moment, you know, whatever that final moment is of, you know, multiple failures, whatever, you know, is that, you know, impetus to finally just grab a hold or hold on to something and say, you know, Hey, you know, they're worried you're not going to make it back. But usually the person that's in there is not, it's not thinking that way. You know, they're not seeing it that way at all. You know, they're just figuring, you know, hey, the ride's going to continue. I'll be okay. Um, tomorrow is another day. Well, you know, no one else is really looking at your life that way at all. So what a blessing, you know, that you were able to get it turned around. Um, was there one rehab place in the end that like did something specifically with you that really just connected um, and then kind of got you on a path to uh, to feeling healthy again and starting to get like some control of your life? No, I had actually gone back to the same place three times. And um, I mean, we there's a phrase we say, like, keep coming back. I mean, it's um, eventually, you know, if you stick around, the, the miracle will happen. And that's kind of just what happened. I mean, I I woke up and I was like, all right, let's do it. And I didn't miss like any groups. And I was there 45 days. And then it was um, it was around the time of Hurricane Sandy. I had checked in just a few weeks before Sandy. And, um, you know, I, I decided, I, you know, I wanted to come back to New York after that. And they weren't really too happy about that at, at the, the facility. They wanted me to do some uh, longer term treatment. But, you know, I did everything that they suggested when I did get back. And, you know, I got right into, you know, the program and um, was attending and still attend lots of meetings and um, you know, you fast forward now and it's, you know, it's still at the center of my life. It's like, make sure you do that meeting today and everything else is around it. Second around, it's usually running or training, um, which leads into, you know, the first thing. So that's, you know, that's the one thing that just sits at the core of my life and everything else, you know, kind of sits around it. I think that's such a key point because the discipline required to stay clean and to stay healthy and to not go backwards and take that step back into hell or, you know, where you've been to before, particularly in a pandemic. Like we've never been in a situation like this. No one's ever lived through anything like this unless you were able to be reborn a few times. Nobody's ever been through anything as traumatic and as stressful. And I just know um, I don't drink almost ever at home alone, almost ever. I mean, I've had great wine collection for years when I was married and had a wine cellar and I'm a big wine person. And, you know, I got all these great bottles. I've never been one to open up a bottle of wine at home, Don, and say, all right, I'm going to drink a glass of Pinot. Like, 
or make a mixed drink, which I love to have in a bar, a martini or some other drink. But during the pandemic, all that stuff went out the window. I mean, I'd have a drink in the middle of the afternoon. I'd drink beers when I'm on the show, even at one o'clock sometimes, a gluten-free beer, because, you know, it's fun for me. It's like relaxing. Hey, man, it's another Zoom call, you know? They tend to just... There's there's an actual thing called Zoom fatigue now because we're looking in screens versus actually just being a room with people, which is just a little different. There's there's some kind of different dynamic. So I just think the stress of this year for anybody who's been through a recovery, and maybe some people have gone through a few, um, has got to be really difficult. So the, the discipline that you need, that that's first, even ahead of your running and the rest of your life, has to has to be the reason why you've put nine amazing years together and gotten so healthy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, this is, de it's definitely been very trying. The, the beginning was very strange. I mean, it was, um, if I felt like a newcomer again, um, we, you know, the streets were pretty much opened up to any kind of activity <laughs> and, um, you know, with no police kind of around, you know, the first month or so. And it was, I saw things, you know, going on like drug dealing and it just, you know, and I'm like, we're in a pandemic, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I, you know, it, it just, it was incredible, like to kind of get through that and just act like a newcomer again. And, um, and we, and we do zooms, like, that's what we do, like, which we've been, everybody, everybody's been resilient, you know, it's something that our community does. And I think we'll continue to do, which is great. Well, that's fantastic. And I appreciate your openness and candor on it because there's got to be a lot of people who have taken on running or try or ultra because they have this in their past. And, you know, running grounds us, man. It's, it's, uh, it's free therapy. Um, and to be able to get out there wherever you're running, even if it's on a treadmill, for Christ's sakes, in your, in your building or in your apartment, you know, or a Peloton bicycle or something, just the, the active movement, even if it isn't physically actually moving, it's on a belt or on a machine and you got headphones on in a class, it just, uh, it saves our soul, man. It gets the heart pumping, it gets the blood flowing, and it just changes everything for us. And we need it so much. But in your case, and for so many others who are, you know, still, you know, every day is recovery. That's all my friends tell me who've been through it. So you have nine years. The reason you're doing so well and you're helping others is because you're keeping that at the center. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, I love, you know, going out to your point and it's like, you don't come back the same person after a workout. You're just, you know, whatever you leave your worries at the door and you come back and you're like, all right, ready. To, I always say it's the hard, the hardest part of the day is over. You know, it's the training. I, and that's why I like to train in the morning. Um, that's my thing. It's, you know, get the hard, hardest part of the day over. Um, but I always come back a different person and, and I just, I just love it. Yeah. I remember you telling me you were doing the rides in Central Park super early and I'm just like, yep, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely not me. My, <laughs> my friends are out there running before the sun comes up or you're, you're doing the early bikes and it just, it's just one of those things, man. There's certain people that are just way more nocturnal and that's just always been me. Um, and even it's just, um, you know, to take the extra time with my dog to deal with the certain amount of work things, I have my podcast things, I have all these different things that I'm juggling, like all of us have certain amount of things we're juggling. And I'm like, I will always tend to push the running off to the point where I feel like I've done everything else I need to do. So that's why a lot of times my runs end up at night or even really late at night, not because I don't want to run, man, I want to run as much as you want to go on your bike ride. It's just like, eh, you know, I got to, I got to take care of my clients. I got to keep all my pod stuff in order. I got to do all my other things I'm doing. And uh, you know what? I'll, I'll run a little bit later. 
you know, I'll, I'll tackle that later. But yeah, so if you're the morning type, man, you know, that's just another part of your discipline. It's part of your routine, you know, and I guarantee you, if you don't get it in early, that's going to screw your whole day up. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Right. It's funny. I've seen your Stravos too. Like, uh, so I, I see some late nights in the car. <laughs> yeah. I know people don't believe me. They're like, did you really run at two o'clock in the morning last night? I'm like, yep, I did. I ran at two o'clock in the morning. I definitely did. I wouldn't advise it for uh, too many people, but you know, where I know, where I know where I'm going. I know where it is. It's super well lit. It's super safe. And obviously as men, we don't have to worry about the safety stuff anywhere near as much as women. Although it's not like we don't have to worry. I mean, I can't just like put my headphones on and go blasting music at like two in the morning. That probably wouldn't be the smartest idea. But, um, and then you got the OSR crew, man, you know, the OSR <laughs> New York City juice. I mean, we got races rolling with them at two in the morning and those are just pure energy, man. Awesome. So cool. Have you done one? Have you done an OSR race? I've always wanted to do one, but they, it's always like lined up at like, the really like a really bad time for me. Yeah, <laughs> Where, like a coach would be like, "You better not do that, or you're, <laughs> you know, we're gonna put yourself in jeopardy of you know the bigger race that you're you're training for." I feel you, man. Okay, so thirty-two to forty-one, nine awesome years. Not only gotten yourself totally in order, but also helping a lot. So I I always say the community stuff for the end because I like for you can talk a little about who you're helping and what people you're sponsoring and stuff how does running click? Okay. So you get well, get healthy, you're back in New York. How does it start? Cause you even said you were walking on the treadmill, like where, where's your starting point and like, take us through a little bit about when, when, when it actually starts to come together for you. So continue, you know, treadmill work and it starts to, you know, I get up to like, you know, five K's and, um, I start moving that outdoors and, I'm doing that, you know, a few days a week and I start seeing benefits of it, um, especially like in the mornings, <laughs> in the mornings, you know, I, I wake up with, you know, some anxiety and it's like, oh, I got a lot to do, a lot to do today. And I found that it was just really helpful for that as well. Um, you know, not just it being like, you know, the hard part of the day it's over. It's, it just really helps me, um, kind of get grounded and, and focused. And, um, and then I start, you know, dating and I meet my wife and, um, she's, she's, she's from Australia and she's living, she had just moved here. You know, I think she was, I met her like a month after she moved here and she was living with her cousin in, in Brooklyn and she's doing these little races in central park on the weekends, New York Roadrunner races. And she's like, why don't you come along to one? And it was like, I think it was a four miler. It was like, um, the breathe, the, the breath one. I forget what it's the exact name of it is, but, um, it was like a spring race and, uh, I think, you know, I signed, I, I ended up signing up for it and I, I couldn't believe how many people like showed up to do a race on Saturday morning. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Um, honestly, I, I was really waiting, waiting for somebody to kind of ask me to, to do something like that again. Cause I, I did enjoy it when I was in high school. And, um, from there it was like, all right, let's do another one. And, and then it was like, maybe we should try a half, you know, and, um, it's funny. I look at a lot of my pictures from those, those races. And I had like headphones with like, you know, a cord down to my, my pocket <laughs> running these races with, you know, all these clothes, you know, like heavy clothes on, I got bad shoes. Um, so yeah, I, I get, you know, I do like my first half and, um, meanwhile, I, I should mention I'm still smoking cigarettes. So I'm actually loving 
running and smoking cigarettes right after because my lungs are open and, and I'm, and I'm thinking like, yeah, I, you know, I can continue to do this. This is kind of like, you know, running's my thing. Smoking is like a crutch I can hang on to. And I start, I, you know, I, at one point I'm doing a, a run in central park and I think I was training for like the Brooklyn half. And, uh, and I, I started wheezing and I was like, all right, I guess you're, you're not like Superman. <laughs> so, you know, at that point I was like, you really got to quit. And what I decided to do was, you know, Hey, if you get into like the New York city marathon, I, I submitted myself and, um, I guess like the, the raffle or drawing. And, uh, I said, if you get in, then you really got to quit smoking. Cause it's now it's like really catching up with you. It's you've been clean for four or five years now. Like it's probably just time to let go of that crutch. And, um, I end up getting in to the 2016 New York city marathon and I'm like, Oh shit, I got to quit now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Um, it's amazing. Some of my running friends who are incredibly talented as you are, who smoked and smoked fairly late in life, not just, you know, you know, you know, for a few months or something like that, we're smoking for a long time, um, and having the impact. And, you know, it's just another one of those things where people just don't really understand how you can reverse all of that damage with something as simple as running. People don't believe it. You know, it's just like, you know, vaccine stuff. Or, you know, they don't want to take a vaccine. They don't want to do this. I mean, well, you're not going to get hospitalized if you take the vaccine. But, you know, people just have these ideas and they're so set in their ways. But, well, I've been smoking all this time. My lungs are all ruined. No, 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 they're not ruined, okay? My mom was never a runner like us, but she stopped smoking when we refused to go get cigarettes for her at the store anymore. My mom is still with us at 89. She probably wouldn't be with us at 89 if, she had kept smoking all those years. Not probably, I would say almost certainly with with, with a, almost 100% certainty. So amazing that you're running and you're wheezing your way through these runs and, you know, people are smoking, but, you know, it happens, man. I've seen people walk right out of Equinox, right out of the gym in New York City, go right to the first corner and open up and take a cigarette out. And I'm like, what, you know, what is going on? Like, I don't understand, but, you know, people do, people do do it. Um, yeah, I was, I was a slave to those <laughs> for a while. I mean, when I quit, it was right after Brooklyn half, my first half, which was 2016 too. Um, and we went to Italy for, it was Memorial day weekend. We had like a, a week, week long vacation and they make smoking look good there. I mean, they, <laughs> they do attractive folks, attractive people. I remember I saw this father holding on to his son and he had loafers on and he was smoking a cigarette in Venice and and I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? <laughs> it's so funny you're saying that because Ronnie was in Paris music school for a month and, you know, Paris, Spain, Madrid, you know, all the great European cities. You go to any of those places, man. Yeah, smoking is everywhere. They're well-dressed. They look great, just like you said. And smoking and beautiful architecture. So, okay, it can't be all that bad. Well, yeah, it's definitely not what we want to be doing. So amazing that this is 2016 and you're just like taking cigarette smoking out of the equation on top of the other stuff. And, um, you know, so you're signed up for your first New York City Marathon. So where are you at this point with your running? Do you remember any of your times at that point? Because people are going to be amazed like when you throw, throw out some of the stuff you've done in the past couple of years when, when we catch up to where we are today. Yeah, I think my first, that half was like 140 or something like that, maybe 145. I, I don't even really remember. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, leading up to New York City, I, you know, I, I decide I'm going to do like 
the New York Roadrunner like online marathon training program. And um, to be fair, it, it is something. I had finally gotten introduced to something where I was like, all right, this is like, this is cool. Like I have a plan. <laughs> this is uh, this is what we're going to do. And I thought I was like going to qualify for Boston, you know, my first marathon. And um, I was only running like 35 miles or 40 miles a week, which I, for, which for me at that time was a lot, but I, you know, I just had no idea. <laughs> and, you know, I showed up and I went out pretty hot with that, <laughs> like, like most first timers do. And I just got crushed halfway through when we got to the Queensboro Bridge, which most people do. <laughs> and um, I ended up like walking and running and walking and running like the rest of the way. And um, and I did, I think it was like 3.30 um, for my first marathon. So, um, you know, that finishes up. I feel like I want to die. You know, I'm like, I like, feel like I need to go to the medical tent afterwards. My family's like, you know, proud of me, but they're like, you don't look good. You should probably go to the hospital. <laughs> you know, all those things that you see. And, and the next, you know, Monday I'm, I'm signing up for another one. And it's, you know, it's like, oh, I want to do this again. And the, and the process begins. And if you don't run your first New York City marathon or first any marathon and have that kind of experience, I'm sorry, man, you need to blow yourself up at least once in life to really live it. Uh, and <laughs> our stories couldn't be any more similar other than you're about nine minutes faster. I think my first New York was 338 or 339, but um, I was doing triathlon first. So I was backwards. I mean, I had a girlfriend who was a big time triathlete and did all these hundred mile bike rides and used to do rag ride where they'd ride across Iowa and camp outside. And, you know, I was chasing her. She was beautiful. And I was like, okay, I'll do triathlons. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to swim. I don't know how to do half the stuff, but okay, I'll do it. And had a bad bike crash. And then, you know, after the concussion and a lot of broken bones and stuff, I just didn't feel super comfortable riding with people really close to me after that for a while. So I was like, oh, come back and do triathlon anytime I want. I'll get into running. So my friends are all like, man, you can run a sub 40, you know, 10K at the end of a Olympic distance triathlon. I think you could run a sub three marathon. I'm like, but I've never done any long runs. And I'm like, oh no, you can, you could probably do a sub three. <laughs> You're talking about mileage done. I think I was running, I, maybe I was running 35, 40 miles a week. Cause you know, when you're doing try and you're not doing Ironman distance, mostly, you know, you're doing up to 70.3 or Olympic, you don't really need that much mileage. I mean, my longest run before my first New York city might've been 14 miles. It might've been, it may not even been that far. It might've been 12. And all my friends are literally going, oh, dude, go for a sub three. You want to talk about being sent down the path of like no chance for survival. Um, I did make it off the Queensboro bridge. I got up somewhere up first Avenue and there's basketball courts over there on the right-hand side. And I'll never forget. Cause I, I'm eating like power bars. Like that's what you're supposed to do during the race. And I had to, I had to go to the bathroom and literally got stuck on the toilet bowl. I mean, I could not get back up off the seat. I was literally like holding onto the sides, like trying to pull <laughs> myself up. My quads were cramping and, you know, I don't know. I walked too. I don't know how much I walked and ran, but it was a long way home from there. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you speak of. Uh, I didn't have any family members there telling me to go to the hospital, but if they were there, they probably would have been saying the same thing to me. <laughs> yeah. And that's where we start. And then we're like, hey, this is great. Let's do this again. More self-inflicted torture. So first marathon 330, dude, that's, that's amazing considering, you know, what you had done at this point. You hadn't really done all that much for sure. And you're coming off smoking, addiction, all the other stuff. So you, you know, definitely good, a good indicator of things to come. Yeah. 
for sure. Um, you know, that I signed up, I, I believe it was for Chicago for uh, the following year. Um, I think, yeah, because you, you normally have to book, you know, book like something, you have to purchase it like a year in advance. And I remember I also Googled like running coach NYC because I was like, all right, you know, I'm not going to let this ever happen to me again. <laughs> so from there, I found uh, coach John Henwood. And uh, John, I don't know if, for those of you who don't know, that are in New York City or or in New, or in New York City, don't know him, but he was an Olympian, a 2004 Olympian, um, and a 10,000 meter for New Zealand, and um, ran for New York Athletic Club, and um, has hosted a lot, has coached a lot of like elite and, and local athletes, including Mary Kane. Um, so here I was, you know, John's, you know, coaching me now, and um, he, I'm starting to do things where you know, I don't, I'm not listening to him right away. And he kind of was like, listen, if, if this is the way it's going to be, like, we're just not, I'm not doing this. I got way too many other people, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm like nobody, you know, it's like this guy just ran three thirty, and I'm already giving him like shit. <laughs> it's like so funny. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, whatever you say. And then I, you know, kind of from that day on, I listened to everything he said. And um, I remember it was really intimidating going to our first like long run. Cause you're, you know, you're like, I'm like, I'm thinking about like a way out. Like, how am I, what am I going to say to these guys? Like, cause I'm on my first loop and I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to like do this, you know, for a, a couple more times. So, you know, eventually you get comfortable doing that. And then, you, you know, I start thinking about it and I'm running with like Anna Johnson at the time, who's a local elite um, and just all these really great athletes. Um, a lot of them women um, who have like qualified for like, you know, Olympic standards. And I'm just like, wow, again, like a moment where I kind of just say like, what am I doing here on Sunday morning, you know, running with all these great athletes. And, and that was, it was just so much fun that first year and still it continues to be, but it was special that first year for sure. Well, thanks for giving the, the John Henwood background. Cause he's certainly a legend in the New York city running community as a runner first, of course, you know, as an Olympian, but, and again, as a coach, having worked with so many top athletes and, um, I love that your, some of your first, uh, situations had that, um, because it's weird in the world we live in today in the cancel culture where we live, if somebody doesn't agree with anything, it's like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm done. Like, you know, people literally just will not dig in. They will not do the extra work. They just, if somebody disagrees with them for any reason, it's, they tend to run for cover and, you know, look, John can be a pretty damn intimidating guy. He's a big guy, you know, yeah. he's, you know, Hey man, I don't care who you are. You're not just going to be like, Hey, I'm not going to tell this guy what to do. You might be like, okay, I better listen to him. So, you know, but at the same time, if you didn't, you know, approach it that way, maybe he would have just like not even paid attention to you. So in some way it might've helped your, your chemistry and connection with each other. And in some way also it had to make you realize like, wow, I'm around these people who made Olympic standards like Anna, who we both know and other great runners like Mary Kane. So it's gotta be telling you at least subtly like, Hey, this dude thinks I belong. If he's telling me to come out here and run with them and thinks I can hang with them, then I better like show up and, and step up my game. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting because John's, I mean, I, I mean, having done this for so long, he, can tell you exactly like what you're going to run in a race. And some people don't like that. I mean, they're like, what do you mean? Like we, you know, I thought I wanted to, you know, break three or, and he's like, no, you're not going to do that. He's like, <laughs> I've seen your, your workouts. Like, this is what you're going to do on the flip side. You know, for me, it was like, no way I'm going to run that dude. 
like, are you out of your mind? That sounds insane. So I remember, you know, he was like, no, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go out at this pace and you're going to drop down to this pace. And I would do it. And I'd be like, just be like, it was just like amazing. Like when I would finish a race and, and, and slowly I, I started getting all these like PR, I shouldn't say slowly. I started seeing like all these incredible PRs, like, um, and I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. That's, um, the, the power of what you just said is everything. So a great coach athlete relationship, it, it's so founded um, and held together by belief and self-belief, right? So the belief of the coach and the athletes is usually where it starts, but then the athlete gets it back on the other side at some point and starts to have the trust. So that becomes the self-belief. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, John said I can do this, so I'm going to do this. And he's not only telling you you're going to do it, he's telling you you're going to go out at this pace and then you're going to run faster at the end. So he's already teaching you the right way to run races to negative split, you know, to not try to bank time in the marathon, which is the biggest blunder of all time that, you know, we're destined to make when we don't know how to run. We don't know any better. So, well, I feel great in the beginning. Of course you feel great in the beginning. You're not going to feel great when you have 10K to go. Um, but yet forever and ever and ever, people will go out in Boston and run four or five minutes too fast in the first half and then wonder what went wrong on the back end when all the hills are waiting for you from 20 miles on. So all the hard work is at, is at the end, and yet everybody just wants to just ride the downhill and ride the faster part of the course early and just throw a caution to the wind and whatever. So you have him believing you, telling you times you don't even imagine you could run, and you know telling you a, a strategy or a plan for it, and it's and starting to come to be. And uh, you know that's that's where the magic happens for sure. And then he's not only doing it just with you. You're in a pretty small group, right? Because it's not a huge group. I mean, he's not, the team isn't really big, right? Henwood or, and, and it's not everybody's on the team anyway. He coaches athletes that aren't even on your team as well, right? That's correct. Yeah. I think the team as a whole is probably, you know, 50 people, maybe 60, depending on the season. Um, and everyone has like individual goals. It's not so much about like really the team, um, more about like individual goals um, with his, with his coaching. Whereas like, you know, you have these larger teams, like you're a part of Central Park and it's scoring team points. Um, it's, it's a, it's, it's not like that with this team. Love it. So you're, you're working with John, you're working with some other great runners like Anna, you're doing the group long runs and for everybody listening at home, even if you don't want to rock the marathon and that's not your thing, and you don't want to be an ultra runner and that isn't your thing. If you just want to be good at the half marathon or 10 K or even 5Ks and 5 miles. The long run is the secret sauce for everyone. Um, you don't need to run with Anna Johnson and other Olympic trials qualified athletes and Don and, and uh, his group, but you got to get together with somebody. Um, or, you know, do some on your own. You got to find some people that are going to want to run the same pace as you and do some work with you. And, and that's where the development uh, comes. You know, the aerobic capacity you know, building the mitochondria and the power base and the powerhouse uh, aerobic capacity changes take place over years and years of cycles. So when you first start working with him, some of these paces on these runs, like you said, you didn't even think you could make it through one loop. I know what that feeling's like. You're like, I'm going to get dropped. There's no way I can hang with these people. And then all of a sudden you start doing it. And I guarantee you three months go by and then that same run is happening and you're probably running 15 or 20 seconds faster a mile, if not more. And you're not feeling that same pain threshold. Yeah. Um, and I, I do this thing in the runs where I kind of like 
woo or like kind of like howl and people are it's kind of scares a lot of people when I'm running by but it's like I just can't believe like how how fast we're moving sometimes on those those like long runs um but yeah the you know running with a group is, is definitely key I mean you're gonna feel good some miles you're gonna feel bad some miles and um on the miles where we feel bad sometimes what we do I run with Jerry Faulkner a lot he's one of my training partners he'll put me in front of him and I'd be like get in front of me and it's kind of like forcing me to like just keep a pace because he's behind me. And um, and that's I wouldn't do that on my own, obviously. Um, so it's funny. I actually went back out and ran with Anna Johnson this past weekend and and some of the hounds. And because I've been doing a lot of training on my own for Ironman because um, it's, it's just that kind of sport. And I just want to make sure I understand how to, you know, compete that way. Um, and I got my butt kicked on those on that same like long run. Cause I'm just not in that like marathon shape. Like those, those guys are right now. It's just, it's funny, you know, triathlon versus marathon to, versus wrestling. When we talked about that earlier, like the different kind of shape you need to be in. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, running off the bike is just the most incredible acquired skill, a skill that has to be practiced and learned and through brick after brick and through fatigue and exhaustion and finding your legs how at whatever point you find them you start to believe okay I can run off the bike and I actually can run fast off the bike or maybe run faster than the other triathletes I'm competing against in my age group to try to qualify for worlds but yeah we both know Anna's a badass so if you're not rocking the long runs and you're not in good shape I mean she just destroyed like the trials and miles series she was like running crazy bananas times and all those distances and all those races. And just, uh, I can't wait to see what she does in New York this year. Um, I know she's in the elite field along with uh, a ton of other strong, we've got such a strong New York city, uh, contingent of runners and the women's contingent is probably the strongest by far. Um, yeah, and it was I was actually, Aileen was with us too. And yeah. she's, she's in that field also. It's funny. Yeah. Aileen's, Aileen's gonna kill it. Um, I remember her down in Atlanta, like breastfeeding her youngest boy. And then she just goes out and destroys everybody the next day in Atlanta <laughs> on the, like, the hardest course ever with the wind blowing like 80,000 miles an hour. I mean, it's, it's just crazy, um, but just so awesome. And uh, it's a great time to be in our sport and competing. So before we transition into how you've made your shift over into try and why you put your focus on that right now. I wanted to just have you talk a little bit about some of your best races to give people an idea of some of your best time. Cause I know you've run some amazing times, a couple of your favorite races, where they took place and like what, what it was like on, in those days when you had your, you had your breakthrough moments. Yeah. So after 2016, when I ran the first marathon, 2017, I, I actually had a stress fracture in my foot and I couldn't do Chicago. So I ended up not being able to run a marathon that year, which fed a lot of fuel <laughs> to my fire. And um, what I did was just really train my ass off over the winter um, in 2017. And I ran Tokyo Marathon 2018. Um, and when we were doing it, the goal was still just like, let me just qualify for Boston. And, um, which is a big feat in its own, but, you know, coach Henwood was like, dude, you're going to run 255. And then he's like, you're going to run 250. You're going to run 245. <laughs> and it, the times just kept dropping and, um, everything went to plan in that race and to have it like a 45 minute PR and run a 244 in a, a country far away, <laughs> um, was just an incredible day. Like just looking up at, you know, the buildings in Tokyo and, 
taking it in and, and feeling really fit and not feeling like I needed to go to the hospital at the end of the race was just like so remarkable. Um, I'll never forget like that day. And I wanted to go back to the Olympics. I I'd actually had tickets and, and everything. Cause I just had such a, such a ball, um, doing that race. Um, so I, coming off that in super good shape, I'm ready to run like a really good half. Um, I'm, I'm training for Brooklyn. It's uh, 2018. It's it's pouring down rain at the beginning of the race. We're running in a little circle in front of the start line, warming up. I think I think you were there that year. Yeah, yeah I remember actually meeting you at that race. Yes, it's funny. Um, and we're like, you know, it's it's pouring down rain. The, the gun goes off. I'm 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 feeling so good, and um, we're we're about to leave uh, Prospect Park, and I take a I take a wrong step. And, um, I crack my, my ankle and I, I fall down and I see the whole group going ahead and I try to get back up to keep running. And, and I just can't, I just can't do it. I, I didn't, I thought I had, you know, sprained it pretty bad, but, um, turns out I, you know, I fractured my, uh, my ankle and, um, and I was out, you know, like six weeks or eight weeks or I, I forget it might've been longer. Um, and then that just kind of fed more fuel to the fire. It was like another injury, but I was like, I was, you know, in such good shape right there. So I got it. I got into really good shape for uh, CIM that same year, <clears throat> and I ran that in December, and that was like a really special year because everyone was trying to to qualify for the Olympics. So you had all, all these women that we were talking. You know, we've mentioned some of them were there, um, and it was just the perfect weather, perfect day. I mean, that's why people like to run that race: rolling, rolling hills, but downhill. Although a little up more uphill at the end than I thought. <laughs> Um, and then I, and that race, I was, you know, pacing for 240, but I finished 242 and, and that was, um, I didn't feel good at the end of that one. That was, that was, that was brutal, <laughs> but it was, um, that's my PR for, uh, for the marathon. And I'll never, I, I won't forget that one either. That's awesome. So you have two epic marathons that you that you pull off Tokyo 244, um, been to Tokyo. I've, um, I've run Tokyo once was supposed to go back the second time and was on getting ready to board the plane the next day to get my second six star medal for doing the, all the majors, um, a second go around and cancels one day later, I pivot, I go to Atlanta. So I get to see all the women and the men, a lot of which we know a lot of these same athletes compete and be part of that experience. And I, I wouldn't trade that piece for anything, even Honestly, I wouldn't even trade it for having a chance to run Tokyo again, because I'll run Tokyo again, and I'm probably not going to be as fit again, because face it, this is literally going to be like three, maybe even four more years are going to go by before I get that chance to run it a second time. But what an experience for Tokyo. So I like to give them a little shout out because you ran the course, I ran the course. If the rest of the world could follow Tokyo's leadership and Tokyo's plan for how to put on a marathon... I don't know what your experience was like, but I can tell you there wasn't a gel, there wasn't a cup, there wasn't a piece of waste on that course for 26.2 miles. And if it was there, it was immediately picked up. Someone sprinted across the road and it was gone. There is no waste, there is no garbage, there is no mess. And I don't understand why as a world, we can't study them putting <laughs> that race on and figure out how to do that in Chicago or New York or in Boston or in Berlin or in London, you know, the other majors. I, I don't understand it because it left such an impact on me. It just, 
I, when I saw someone drop something in the road, I wanted to go back and like hip check somebody into the, into the <laughs> boards, man. Like, what are you doing? There's the streets yeah. are clean. And the year I ran Tokyo, it poured rain and it was cold and it was freezing, but there was no mess. There were no gloves. There was no, whatever dropped, somebody came out there and picked it up. So they have a plan and they, they manage it so well. And the course is, it's awesome. Like you said, you start by the government buildings and you're rolling through these sections I mean, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a, a great experience. And it's also just an amazing place to just go visit. I mean, you know, the, culturally, the temples and going on the bullet train and going to Mount Fuji and all these amazing places that you can go, a great place to explore. So it's so cool that you had your first breakthrough there. You know, on, on your race, did you run it? Like, did you hit what you were hoping for? I mean, did it go smoothly? Um you know, in terms of, because you said, uh, CIM, I know you didn't finish as strong or didn't feel as strong, but in Tokyo you did. Yeah. It was just like bang on. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was pretty, it was even the whole race. Um, and then in my head, it's, you know, the, the race starts at 20 miles and, you know, the last 10 K and, you know, you go for it. And um, yeah, it was just one of the best executed races I've ever done. Um and just felt for sure. <laughs> awesome. Do you use mantras when you race? Um, for me, I, I just, you know, I, there's like a reward system. It's like, all right, you know, you're, you know, you know, you're going to get a gel just, you know, so it's always thinking about like the gels <laughs> that I'm going to take, or, um, it's just breaking things into increments too. It's like, all right, one more minute, you know, one more, you know, 30 more seconds, one more minute. Um, so I do a lot of that. And then just depending on like what's going on, you know, at that time in my life, like if it's somebody I'm thinking about, you know, like I think CIM, my, my grandmother had passed away and I think she was with me like that day. I was like thinking about her a lot. And, um, and then, you know, you take Ironman and it's like, you know, pretty savage race. And, and that I was like, you know, you're a bad motherfucker. <laughs> and like, you know, you, you got to like really tell yourself a lot of, a lot of nice things. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, usually it's, it's, you know, breaking things into increments and, and, and the reward system for me. I like it. And plus you're adapting it based on the race, you know, people that may matter and mean everything to us in our lives. If you've lost somebody or somebody's done something uh, for me, I have stay in the fight, my sign behind me that served me forever. And I don't just use it for running. It's just been in life. You know, man, we get hit with a lot of stuff in life, including the pandemic and, difficulties and career stuff and relationship things, whatever. I mean, man, you just got to keep going. You always got to pick yourself back up. And the fact that Goggins uses it too, that only makes me love it even more because all my <laughs> yeah. friends would be like, Hey man, Goggins is using your hashtag. I'm like, I guess Goggins can use it. Like it's, it's cool. I'm good. As long as he comes on my podcast someday, he can do anything he wants. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's super cool and breaking the race down, however you do it. Um, we all have to have a plan. Um, and breaking the race down for fueling, yes, always, because if we don't have a fueling plan, we will fail every single time. Um, and as far as, you know, what are you thinking about out there? So everybody has to have an approach to the race. And, you know, if you let the race get too far ahead of you, it's like being out over your skis, you know, you know, on the mountain or doing ski jump, man, it's going to, you're going to crash and you're going to blow up. So Ryan Hall, you know, said it best, you know, run the mile you're in, you got to stay in the moment. You got to stay in the mile you're in. And if you're saying, you know, one more minute, you get a gel, like it's a reward system. It's funny because I don't really like to take gels, man. And uh, I'm pretty sure we both use Mort and I'm, I'm pretty positive on that one. Um, but still, 
even Morton, which is the easiest on the stomach out of everything, and the gels don't require the water. You can use water if you want to. I always tell people that all the time. They they get so hung up on the stuff. Like, you can use water if you want to. You just don't have to use it. Like, it's not like if you use water, the gel's ruined, and you're not going to get the result. It's just a, it's a matter of a personal preference. But it is nice because that is a big difference. And if you're running somewhere where fountains aren't available, we're lucky in Central Park, you know, they're not on all year, but they're on most of the time. So if you're going to do your long run there, you don't really have to worry about water. Um, you can. Um, I personally like to carry a, a handheld bottle and I'll just tuck a gel or two in there and then I have everything I need, you know, versus doing a backpack because in the heat of the summer, man. It can be it can be a serious grind for sure, as you know. Although you're training in Florida, dude, so you got it, you got it even you got it even tougher. Oh yeah. And then so CIM, you go obviously you run a faster time. You cut two more minutes off. Um, I would say you know courses are similar. I mean CIM is more rolling for sure, but it's got a lot more rolling downhill too, and definitely has some uphills. I would agree with that 100 percent at the end. I think I also have a 242 at CIM, maybe a 243, because that was in my mid-30s when I had my good streak of running, but really, really similar. Um, and I thought the end was a little tough too. Uh, but that I think a lot of times that just can be how hard do we push you know, the other part of the race. So I'm sure you, know, you didn't have any fueling issues, right? I mean, you got all that stuff, right? Yeah, that felt good. Um, I was running with a, a hound too. Okay. Um, I 10 years younger than me <laughs> and um, he was, he was, we were pulling each other along. He was probably pulling me along more than I was uh, pulling him along. But um, yeah, he, he went and I tried to go and I think I overextended myself a little bit and um, at 20, cause we were, we were trying to go under 240 and um, I probably, you know, burnt some matches I probably shouldn't have. And, and I think that's what happened, but I still, I, I was definitely doing the death March. I think my last mile was like 630 um, which is good, but not when you're trying to run six minutes or, you know, it's, that's, that's, that's what, that's what happened there. And then, um, it, yeah, but that was, that was fun just, you know, to, uh, my aunt was there taking like pictures too. And I, she's big into black and whites and, and I have some of those in my, in my new place in Florida, actually. Oh, cool. It's, it's always nice to have people out there that are cheering for you or if they're shooting or taking some pictures, always a good thing. Um, so you have two awesome marathon experiences. You got a really fast half in Brooklyn. You ran a 115 in Brooklyn. And at what point did you just say, hey, man, I want to make worlds in triathlon? Was it pandemic related? Had you been riding and I just wasn't even aware of it? Because I don't really remember you being into the tri scene. And then all of a sudden, all your workouts were so focused on. It. I was like, cool. I didn't know Dom was into this. So like when, what was there something specifically that like tripped it and said, here's my impetus, I'm going to go or, you know, where did it come from? Great question. So coming out of CIM 2019, I run my fastest half. I get some revenge with Brooklyn and I run that 115 and, uh, again, in, in really good shape, feeling good, signed up for Berlin. I'm like, this is the race. This is where, you know, you're going to run two thirties. Um, and everything indicated I would do that. John, when we had our conversation, you know, the week before, and he tells you what you're going to run, he's like, you're going to run under 240. And I was like, all right. So, you know, the week before we head out to Berlin, my wife and I, I, I feel a little like niggle in my like hip and I'm like, oh, what's that? And everyone, I'm going everywhere around the whole city to try to get it out. We think it's muscular. I'm going all over Berlin to get it to figure out what's going on. 
um, panicking and um, I line up. I have a spiky ball. I'm sitting on top of the spiky ball <laughs> at the start line. I'm like, come on, you know, everything's like, this is what I worked, you know, the last few years for. And I, I, I started and I knew it was like, it was, it was something bad. And um, it, it ended up being a stress fracture in my hip, um, which, you know, was very disappointing. And my mom and my stepdad had flown out to Germany and, um, we, we ended up having a nice time. We, we went to Ireland afterwards, but, um, after that, it was kind of like, you know, going to doctors, figuring out what's going on. I had had a few stress fractures and I found out I had like low bone density and I didn't know if it was like related to issues with my lifestyle in my twenties or smoking, whatever it was. But, um, we've since, you know, corrected a, a lot of that. And, um, and then, you know, pandemic it's, you know, it's 2020. And I, I was already like signed up for Atlantic City Half Ironman in, in September of 2020. So I was like starting, I actually went to the studio in the city on the Upper West Side called Tailwind. And Tailwind's where they, they have, it's no, no longer there, but they had a bunch of trainers, like an indoor trainers and all the triathletes train there, usually in the winter because you can't ride your bike outside. And I went there last weekend there and I met my, my now coach, Brian Hammond. And I was like, yeah, man, I've been doing a lot of soul cycle. And, <laughs> and he's like, okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm really excited for this, you know, half Ironman. And um, I was like, he's like, let's get you a membership here and we'll, we'll show you what you really need to do. And then, you know, that Monday or Tuesday, right after it, everything shut down. And um, I had such fun, I had such a good time that weekend on the trainer. And I was like, I need to order one of these, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, that that's basically like how the journey for half Ironman kind of started. It was like, you know, we were, we were all in our apartments. I luckily got a trainer because they ran out quickly. Everybody, you know, went out and should try to buy their Wahoos. And um, we were doing virtual workouts and, and we're still doing those today. And um, Atlantic city gets canceled. Um, everything gets canceled in, in 2020. And um, I'm getting in, into better and better bike shape. And, um, I picked Panama city beach, you know, May of 2021. And, um, I'm really into it. You know, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is going to be my new thing. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it's just, I end up going down to Florida in January, as I mentioned earlier on the call and, um, everything just becomes about this. And, um, and it's kind of the same thing with, with John, you know, breaking, you know, three, when I first set out with him, it was like, what do I need to do to qualify for, you know, world championships at my age group? Am I going to do it? And my coach is like, you're definitely going to do it. You know, seeing like numbers, you know, knowing my running history, seeing like my power on the bike, um, even with a bad swim. So he's, he was totally on board with you being able to hit that goal and objective. I love the soul cycle story, man. You're probably like, I'm a badass on soul cycle. I'm good. He's probably just like, what, dude, I don't, I don't want to hear anything about soul cycle, man. I want to know watch you can crank out and let's get you on a real bike. Let's see what the numbers are. And, uh, yeah, you're right, man. My Wahoo kickers right behind me, man. The Trek Madone is, uh, is right over there. Um, yeah, you can't, there really, can't really see it. Yeah. It's kind of next to my son's piano, which is going to be leaving here soon. So I can actually have a real uh, podcast studio. I'll, I'll I'll take reclaim the rest of my space over here when his piano makes his way up to Vermont. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, man, once you make the shift, you go all in. But before we you know, start to tell your try story, I want to go back on the stress fracture side. So you were doing like deep dive blood panels because your questions are dead on. It 100% could have been related to lifestyle, smoking, drugs, alcohol, all those things could have led you to be in that, uh, you know, class of people that have issues with like uh, pre-osteoporosis, things like that, where you're more vulnerable to breaks and stress fractures, or it could have been nutritional. So I'm curious, and I damn well know anybody listening who's uh, had stress fracture history would want to know too, how you, how you helped figure that piece out. So went to a functional, a functional medicine doctor. Her name is Dr. Dana Cohen. Um, she was partners in my business fix for, for a while. Um, really went through like all of the blood panels, like is the testosterone. Okay. That checked out fine. Um, you know, is, you know, our calcium levels looking right, like all vitamin mineral like levels, markers looking right. And everything was actually looking really good. Um, you know, I, I have asthma also, I will say, and I think that was caused from, uh, smoking, um, even though, you know, some people say that, that smoking doesn't cause it. I don't know how it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. but, um, I know, you know, the steroid that I take that, that, that has indications that it could lead to, a uh, um, decreased bone density. Um, so we really don't know. I mean, what I did is I met a guy that works at Gen UCAN. Um, his name's Matt, and he actually has won an Ironman race, and he's a really good athlete. And um, he had problems with stress fractures, and he um, he's like, I told him like the medicine I was on to help try to you know for, the medicine I was on was to slow bone growth. And he was like, dude, you're way too young to worry about slowing it. He's like, let's you got to rebuild it. And this guy, you know, he's in his like late twenties and he was experiencing these problems. And he's, he's like, you got to get on something more aggressive called Forteo. And it's, it's really hard to get approved. It's, it's actually a shot I have to take every day and you can only do it for two years. Um, but after a year, um, we already saw like increases in bone density levels. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see increases again when I test again in the fall especially with, you know, the weight that I put on myself too. Um, cause I think, you know, I was, I was running pretty, pretty light, um, when I was doing marathon training. I mean, I, I'd gotten down to like 130, 131. And, um, now I'm like one, you know, regularly like 145. So that, so that's, uh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that because that's a, that's a huge piece, um, a huge, huge piece. And, um, you know, whatever, path that you get put on or led on by a nutritionist, uh, whoever it is, a wellness expert, you know, you got to follow that path and then see what the results are going to be. Um, I work really closely with Inside Tracker, and I'd even talk to you about them, you know, with Fix for your business, you know, maybe doing some sort of partnership with them at some point, and maybe you will, um, because they can do blood draws um, with practitioners. I don't know if they can do them in New York City. I know they can do them in New Jersey because they've come to my building before to do my blood draw. And I mean, it's literally checking every biomarker on the planet that any endurance athlete would use. And, you know, anybody in the ultra community from Camille Heron on down is using their services and many in the Ironman community, many elite marathoners, because look, man, we got to know what the hell's going on on the inside. That's the truth. 
and a training cycle, stress, the pandemic, our nutrition starts to have some shift, our sleep isn't as good. And the next thing you know, our B, our, our B12, our D, our magnesium, all these other things start to move and shift. So maybe you're not having stress fractures, but it's also going to affect our energy levels, our performance levels, et cetera. So you got to got to keep um, keep that stuff refined and you know keep paying careful attention to it. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm even looking into nutritionists now, I think, um, for the next after, after this race, I think i'm gonna I'm gonna change things up a bit. That's already something that's been on my mind on my mind. and it's something I you definitely should always keep a, a close watch on. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we know so many mutual great athletes like Kate Powerty is a super close friend of mine and I've run so many miles with her over the years and she's won JFK 50 and was one place behind Sarah Hall in Boston. She's been vegan for years. Her kids are vegan. And, you know, I know elite endurance athletes who are vegan. Like it's not for me because I just really don't want to give up meat, but I want to eat healthier. I want to have a more balanced diet. And I think going back to Inside Tracker again, one of the great things about them is if you're short in an area or high in an area, too much, too low, whatever, they're not only going to tell you, you know, what you can do with supplementation, they're going to tell you with food groups, you know, whether it's eating more oils, like from peanuts or whatever, and of course you might be allergic to peanuts, but whatever it might be, more kale, more broccoli, more of this, it's giving you more than one way to try to solve that. And they have RDs on, on staff, you know, wellness experts on staff. So those are just some things for you to think about that might help you you know, with your puzzle and even doing like the most expensive panel they have, I get 25% off goes to anybody who uses my code. So, um, and those, those RDs are on staff after your test evaluations come back. And most of the time, um, elite athletes like Camille Heron, who's running, you know, the Western States 100, then she's going to UTMB. Like they're, they're having to be tested all the time. They're not getting tested like once a year. They're, they're finishing out a major race or they're getting ready for Kona, which just got bounced to February, 2022. So you're constantly having to evaluate that. So just that's something for you at the level you're racing at and training at, you gotta, you gotta keep that all you know, tightly, you know, under wraps. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing I've been thinking about implementing um, next cycle is tracking my uh, glucose levels. Like just, I know that there's products out there now that help you watch like spikes in glucose because um, I've actually made it a concerted effort to slow down a lot of these gels because I, I overdo the gels. <laughs> Again, that reward system, uh, of course, the attic mind kicks in and I'm like, more gels. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's something else I'm looking at doing after uh, after St. George, too. But I, I would love to check out um, Inside Tracker. That, that sounds like a, a really good company. I know we it's been a while since we discussed it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for sure. So the Ironman uh, World Champs, you know, at that point, that was the absolute big goal. You did qualify for that, right? I did. Yeah. Awesome. Now, where did, where did you qualify? So I, I did, uh, like a virtual, I did like a, um, I guess you call it like a time trial triathlon just to take a step back, <laughs> um, last summer in Rockaway, um, where we, where we did, it was basically like a sprint triathlon. I had just never like jumped in the ocean and jumped on a bike and then ran right after. And so I just wanted to see what that felt like. So I did that last summer and then when I was down in Florida, I was like, you really got to do something else before you're half Ironman. You can't just like <laughs> bank on that, you know, if you're going to qualify. So I, I did an Olympic 
in a city called Claremont, Florida, which is turns out to be like it's like Triathlon USA. I mean, it's they they have tons of you know of really great triathlon races throughout the year. And I think they might even have like a USA like training facility there. Um, and so I did an Olympic there, um, bomb the swim. If you look at my Strava, it looks like I'm just like weaving across the whole lake. It's definitely not like a straight line to the buoys. So, um, really good experience. And then I did, uh, and then I did, and then I had the a race and it was, Panama city beach. It was, it was in May. It was like the 20th of May. And, um, we had really good weather. The, the ocean was flat. Um, it was really cool seeing all these guys in wetsuits, guys and girls in wetsuits, wet like, you know, five 30 in the morning and the sun's coming up. And, um, I think it was like mid sixties or, or low sixties when the race started. And, um, I, the whole time it was like, just, you know, I it basically felt like I was holding back it was like, don't bomb the swim. <laughs> it was like, you know, just be cool. It's all right. You're swimming, you're swimming along. Um, the race for me in triathlon starts when I come off, come out of the water and it's like hunting people down on the bike and I'm on your left, I'm on your right. Um, it's like, you're doing that for a good couple hours. And, um, I, I kind of held back a little bit on the bike because I, I just wanted to make, make sure I had enough in my, um, main event, the run and, and the run, it was hard. Like somebody had told me the day before there were problems with GPS in Panama city. And I experienced that too. So I went out and I didn't even know what I was doing. Cause you come off the bike and your adrenaline's pumping. And, um, I think I was running like five forty-five or five fifty <laughs> coming off the bike. Cause I looked at, you know, the mile marker and I looked at my watch and I was like, dude, you gotta, you gotta chill out. <laughs> um, so my dad was there that day and, um, the run was like three loops so it was like three, four, four mile loops, a little more than four miles. It's a half marathon. And, um, I just kept saying, all right, just make it to, make it to dad, you know, make it to dad. And, um, and then I, you know, I start looking at, I'm looking at the watch and I'm like, oh dude, you're gonna, I just really wanted to get under five. I thought, you know, that'd be a really good first race and that should get me in not guaranteed, but I was like, you're going to break 445. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you got this. And that just, really helped me the last couple of miles and, um, talk about races. I mean, the things that they have on every table, every two mile at an Ironman race is incredible. I mean, it's Coca-Cola and food and like, and gels and everything, you know, you like name it that you need in a race. Like Ironman has that like at these tables, um, when you're on the run ice packs too. I mean, we were, I was told put ice packs in your suit and, and I was doing that every two miles. That's great. So you totally ripped it. You blew the race out of the water. It's just about getting out of the water. You're I knew from there you were going to be good, but starting off at 5:40 or 5:45 for the half, probably not such a good idea at all, but thank goodness you reined it in because if GPS isn't working and you're running by feel, you could easily just from the adrenaline and the hype, you know, really have dug yourself a deep hole. So it's super cool that you, you know, pulled it back in a little bit, got it under control. And, you know, you were just trying to break five hours and it, what, 440 something is uh, amazing, you know, because that's really your first 70.3, right? For real. I mean, you hadn't, you hadn't really run any before. I mean, you basically, you did a fake virtual race yourself and then you did one other race. So you, uh, you know, this is the first real deal of like putting on a wetsuit and goggles and having a site 
and, you know, follow buoys and get kicked in the head by fellow competitors and elbowed and all the other fun stuff that happens in a swim. And if it didn't happen, that's cool. You know, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you actually have a, a swim where you escape and, you know, nothing too crazy happy happens, yeah, right? The in the water where they're like, get out of the way, buddy. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I haven't had the, uh, the bad experiences with the swim in terms of like getting beat up during it. It's kind of like, I'm the one that's kind of holding people back there a bit, but, uh, we're working on that. Hey, you'll trust me. You'll get, you'll get stronger at it. And, um, like anything else, it's discipline and you'll keep working at it. You'll do the workout. You're a grinder and, you know, to qualify is it's a huge, huge thing. So when is, uh, when is the 70.3 worlds taking place? So it's September 18th. It's in, uh, St. George, Utah. It's supposed to be a pretty brutal race. Um, we swim in a reservoir and then you're biking and running it's in the hill. I mean, there's mountains. Very very hilly. (laughs) Um, I had a couple of guests on who've competed there and done a 70.3 or the full there before. Um, so yeah, very, very hilly. Um, but you like hills, you're riding in the park all the time. I mean, and I know you've, you've done a ton of really long rides. I've seen your Strava, man. You've done a ton of monster rides out 9w way the hell up into oblivion you know bear mountain and out to montauk and everywhere else so i don't think that's going to be any issue for you no we we also went and did a training camp in lake placid and um we climbed this this mountain called Whiteface, and um you're you're literally at like seven to ten percent um for over an hour um and it was just and i was on a tri bike and it was it was just like Oh my God, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? <laughs> and it's like hot at the bottom and cold at the top. And you're like, you're going down, you're coming back. I don't know if it was harder going up or down the mountain because it was freezing coming down and you're not pedaling. And it's, I think, you know, anything after that is like cake. I mean, it's, it's funny. That's why we, we kind of do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are great experiences for you. Um, and yes, um, I've read that a lot because I'm not doing those kind of long rides at altitude like friends of mine are where they're out in Colorado and they're riding at 12,000 feet or 10,000 feet. That's exactly what happens. You're sweating so profusely at one point and then on the way down, you're literally freezing, man. Your body's like shivering uncontrollably and, you know, you got to hold it together, man, because you got to handle a bike, you know, going down some of those turns. It's got to be crazy coming down there if your bike handling skills aren't on point. And you're just like not focused or concentrating, man. It's not gonna. It's not gonna end well, right? No. Yeah, you definitely gotta. I, I had to be very careful. And meanwhile, you know, you have my coach that's been biking his whole life, and he's just zipping down the mountain in like ten minutes. You know, it's it's kind of funny, but um. So we've done some other races this summer too. We did. Uh, we did New York City try, and uh, they canceled the swim. So I got a bunch of messages the night before and they're like, you're going to win this race. You know that, right? <laughs> and, um, and I ended up winning like my age group in that race. And, and that was like really fun because it was home turf. Um, so we, we basically, instead of swam, we, we ran the first mile. Um, and I, I kind of got into the guy's head and I was like, Hey, I'm a marathon runner. You know, we were talking about backgrounds <laughs> at the, at the, at the start line. And, um, I didn't look back after that after that. And, uh, that was really fun. And, and then we just did an Olympic in, in New Jersey where I, I got my butt kicked and, uh, in the swim again, but, um, the swim's improving. I, I got a coach and, uh, you know, since I started swimming, I think, you know, my time was like two fifteen per hundred yards and now we're down to like one forty five. And, um, I'll probably spend a lot of the off season doing 
just a lot of swimming and, and improving that still. Well, that's going to make a huge impact for you. Um, and it's, you know, like everything else, it's confidence, um, you know, and, and, or not having it at all, um, which is the worst. And swimming for me was always a disaster and, um, everything that could go wrong always kind of tended to, like I said, I get kicked in the head, my contacts would fall out into my goggles and, um, you know, my lines were off and, you know, or water's coming in your mouth and the ocean swim. And, you know, just, these are things that happen to everyone. And then I have people on my show that have been in Ironman world championships. They've raced in Kona and they've told me they've got out of the water because they're having a panic attack and they swam division one in college. So I think, you know, hearing that, having this show, having this unbelievably awesome platform to be able to talk to inspiring athletes, man, like yourself and other people, it just makes you realize like every single person goes through it. Even someone whose discipline is swimming has those same problems. The wetsuit feels too tight. They're having trouble breathing. They're having a panic attack and they're swimming over to a canoe. And these are people who are great swimmers. Whereas the same thing on the bike, you know, someday, you know, maybe even though that's your strongest thing or leaning towards maybe being your strongest thing, even with your running talent, you know, you might be out there just questioning yourself or doubting yourself or getting dropped buy a pack and you can't hang on, or it's really technical or a climbing race, right? So these things are all part of, you know, what's on your plate that you got to figure out how to manage, man. And he who manages or she who manages it best, they're the ones who, you know, end up on the podium at the end of the day. Yeah. I, that's, you bring up a good point. I mean, that's why I really like, um, Ironman too, and, and triathlon. It's, it's really, really tactical. It's like playing into your strengths and, um, like kind of, you know, what we did in Panama city, it was like, don't worry about the swim. Who cares? Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're going to come in 35, 40, 45 minutes. Doesn't matter. Like you're going to do so well on the bike and run. You're, you're going to, you're going to be fine. Um, so that's what I like about it too. It's tactical, like you said, and there's a lot of problem solving involved because, you know, there's the potential for flats or, you know, train coming off, like, you know, fueling, you drop your fuel packs. I mean, there's anything and everything that can potentially happen does usually happen at some point. And then the run is the run. I mean, this is our life. We're runners. We know how to run, but things are going to happen. They're going to, they're going to come up. And I think similarly, which is why I enjoy the ultra conversation so much. These people are out there running a hundred mile race or a 200 mile race. Like, you just can't even imagine the things that happen, you know, from, you know, your crew not meeting you at the point where you are because you got there too <laughs> soon and then no one's there at all. And it's the middle of the night and you can't see, you know, to, you know, you get there too late and they've left and gone like just everything in between, or, you know, obviously tripping over stumps and rocks and breaking body parts and, you know, all of that, or not being able to keep food down or fuel. Um, uh, had a guest on, um, she qualified for, for her first Kona at Coeur d'Alene. It was over a hundred degrees, you know, it was over a hundred degrees. And, you know, she just can, kept herself contained on the run, even though someone was really gaining on her and she knew that might very well be the last spot available. And if she didn't kind of walk through the aid stations and get her fuel down in the latter parts of the marathon, not the earlier parts, she feels pretty strongly she would have got caught and probably would have. Um, because when we, you know, aren't thinking clearly is where we make our mistakes. And, you know, strategy and tactics are, are definitely a big part of it. Yeah, I, I listened to Jen um, before this one because I was like, oh, Iron Man. It's <laughs> like, you know, I wanted to to hear that one for sure. That was that was really um, inspiring to hear that story. 
Cool. I'll tell you what, she's got a bike, uh, a bike thing going to Costa Rica. We should do, we should get a group together and go down. You know, she's like managing it. Um, like I'm not exactly sure what the name of that business is because she does triathlon coaching also for athletes, but she has a bike tour thing going on like in Costa Rica. So we should go, that would be, that would just be a blast to go down there and just get a bunch of, bunch of us down there just hanging out, riding and just like chilling out. It's such a beautiful place anyway. So that would be, that would be super cool. You don't have to twist my arm for Costa Rica. <laughs> I, I've, I've been looking for a reason to go there. <laughs> there you go. And we'll give Jen some business, man. So that's cool. I'm glad you listened to that one. That was a, that was a really good one, man. Super, super inspiring. So um, normally I would say to people, hey, man, what's like the darkest hole you've dug out of during the pandemic and or in life in 2020, but you've already shared, you know, your recovery and addiction story. And I appreciate, you know, you going through it all. Um, one thing I also like to talk about as well is community service. And I think that kind of lends itself into, you know, your recovery story, like what you're doing in the community besides, you know, just being a good dude in New York city and being part of our local run community. And then obviously having your fixed business, which is like bespoke recovery services. But what are you doing, you know, in terms of community service, like helping others, you know, that you'd like to speak to? So, you know, part of, what we do in, in our program is we help others and because people are there to help me. So that's, that's something that's, you know, that's hopefully going to always continue throughout my life. And it's something that's at the central of my life. Um, another thing that I've recently started doing is um, trying to support Achilles. So um, when I first started swimming, I got to meet uh, Rudy Garcia Tolson. I don't know if you know him. He's um, a Paralympian. I think he's in his fifth, Paralympics. Um, he was told by my coach, my, my, co my coach, uh, Brian Hammond was like, dude, you should get this. You should see Rudy when I asked him like, Hey, I need a swim coach. So I, luckily I got Rudy to, to kind of coach me before he decided he wanted to give it a go for one more Olympics. Um, so I was kind of introduced to, um, in the world of like athletes with disabilities. And, um, we actually had Rudy on when we were doing a lot of IG lives for fix, um, so got to learn more about his whole story. And um, for New York City Try, it was, you know, raising money for um, for Achilles. And um, I'm still, you know, working on raising money for that foundation, too. Um, and I think I'll continue to do that, at least through the through this year. That's great. Uh, giving back is wonderful. And Achilles is just one of the best damn organizations around. And, you know, every time I know as local New York City guys ourselves, every single time I see an Achilles person out there in that park, I'm always going to say, go Achilles, go Achilles, give him a tap, give him a pat, whatever, because it's, it's a beautiful thing. And all the volunteers from the tri-state area that come in to run with those athletes in the marathon, you know, they're, they're giving of their time and their effort, and they're not even getting a marathon medal, you know, for finishing or anything. They're not in the results book. So they're just doing it you know, to be selfless and to give back and to do something for that other person that needs them so that they can complete that run that day. And uh, that's a beautiful thing about our, about our New York City community for sure. Cool. Also on the community service, I know you're sponsoring people, you know, from the addiction side, you had mentioned that. Is there, is it like one or two people? Is it something you talk about at all or just, you know, just something you want to do because people helped you, you know, in your spot? I mean, Currently, it's a handful of people. I mean, it, it, it depends, you know, just um, some people move away or, or drift away or, um, you know, people's lives change. But, you know, it's 
currently like a handful of people, but it's, I mean, that's just something like we always just do. Um, it's, you know, I have a friend that just moved to Miami and it's like, what do I need to do to like introduce you to like everybody down there? Like to make sure you're plugged in and you don't, you know, skip a beat. And, um, it's just like kind of ingrained in, into, uh, everything that we do now. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of the extent of that, I, I'd say. Great. Well, it's wonderful that you're helping others that have in that spot where you were. Um, and then by doing that, you're also keeping yourself in check all the time as well. Because when you're looking out for others, it always reminds you like, hey, this was, this was my life. This is where I was. I don't ever want to be back in that spot. So it's like, it's a two for one. Um, and if you can help any of those people, you know, bring them into our world, bring them into running or try or whatever, maybe not even, man, I mean, just get outside, man, go for trail walks, you know, just do something active, you know, do something physical. Um, I no, no question. It'll help them, you know, in their journey back to, uh, to, to a healthier life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's something that, you know, earlier on, I was more anonymous about, um, and I don't try, I try not to get into too many details about the program that I'm in and, um, but I, I do want to make myself like known that, that this is what I went through and I am, I am available if anybody has, you know, any, um, questions about recovery or, um, wanted to, you know, needs help. You know, I've had people reach out to me, um, on Instagram and, and Facebook and, um, and I welcome that. So if anybody's listening today and, and is struggling with addiction or, um, any issues related, definitely reach out. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, and um, that's that's the the one big super positive thing that people tend to overlook a lot is how many people in our community are willing to like put that extra time in and make that extra outreach to help somebody else, a total stranger, and you know that's that's the good part. People talk all the time about how negative social media is and what a waste of time and energy it is, and I personally just have never seen it that way. Um, you get out of everything in life what you put into it. And, you know, so a few people make stupid comments on your post or page or whatever, and you're going to let them discourage what you're doing. You don't ever let that be why or why you don't do something. You know, like I put a post up about my 100th Boston. It's not for bragging and boasting that I ran my fastest Boston then. It's because I'm really proud of the fact that I'm at 60 years old. I'm going to get a chance to run the 100th and the 125th Boston marathons. I mean, how many people are going to be able to say that they did that. A lot of these people that ran that race aren't even alive anymore or aren't healthy or well enough to run, or maybe they were only 25 or 30 years old. So they are, but it's a small subset of people. So you share that because somebody else might be like, wow, this dude's still doing it. This, this, this chick is still doing it. So I'm going to, I'm going to get back in there, man. I'm going to get back in the mix. I'm going to get back up off the couch. I'm going to, I'm going to get my shoes back on again and I'm going to start getting after it again because I saw this post that Don did or Ron did. So, man, that's there's a lot of good energy out there if you know where to look for it. And if you share it and you give it back, you should get back even more. Yeah, that's right. What what year was that picture that you posted? I, I saw that. You, that's, like a, that's 1996. So I was 35 years old then. So that's uh, and I I had only started running Don at like 32, 33 because I was doing try first, like which I didn't start much sooner than that. You know, 30, 31. So I was a college baseball player, and you know I was always super active. You know, wrestling, baseball, football, but not uh, not running. Never ran in a 5K. Never did any of that stuff. Just 
you know, maybe he did a mile in like gym class, but no, it was just, uh, it was all dormant, man. It was just like waiting, waiting to come out, you know? Uh, it's so cool. I know some, some guys get jealous of us guys that started later. Cause they're like, you don't have number one, you don't have the miles on your legs. And number two, like with PRs and all those things, you're just kind of like, you know, like Henwood would never like ever run again, like a 10 K, like you were at and, you know, leading up to the Olympics, you know, it's, so it's for them, it was like sometimes harder to be motivated. Whereas, you know, for me, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe we keep achieving these milestones. And, um, but good luck to you in Boston. How are you feeling? I know you had some injuries yourself. Yeah. I just had the one injury. You know, I, I took a hard fall when I was building up to run the 60 miles for Tommy Rives, and he's right behind me over there on the wall. Um, I, it was pitch black, you know, it was another one of those late night long runs I was doing. Um, I put up three straight hundred mile weeks building up to that 60 mile run, uh, which is pretty, pretty damn cool at 59. And secretly yeah. no one knew this, but I was trying, Des did this super awesome cool, awesome thing with Brooks, because everything Des Linden does is cool and super awesome. But she did something called Des Tober, where you had to run more, you know, starting mile one, mile two on the calendar, you had to run that number of miles. And she didn't tell anybody you had to run it all in one run. You could run it in three runs or in four runs. But obviously, as the calendar gets to 31, you got to run 31 miles in the day and you just ran 30 the day before. So, and, you know, she put it all out there. Hey, like, please, you know, don't injure yourself. Don't do this stuff. But you know, Des ran, um, she didn't quite get to 500 miles. It was, it was a high four number and I ran 463, um, and couldn't run for five days because I took this hard fall in the pitch black, you know, just the concrete was uneven, couldn't see it, trip, smashed my knee. It's swelled up like that. Wow. And so for a couple of days, I was just limping and couldn't really walk on it. And, you know, I'm just like, don't be soft. Don't be a wuss. You know, like how many times do you fall in the gymnasium in basketball and your knees like swollen? I'm like, oh my God, this is nothing. My knees just swollen. It'll be okay. And even my dog would look at me funny. Like, how come he's not like running with me on, on our dog walks? <laughs> and I was like, I didn't want to risk it because it was, it was five days before the run, which was for my birthday. Cause I wanted to make it significant 60 miles from my 60th birthday. And, you know, I ended up, I was running on a stress fracture. I had a stress fractured knee and you know, Dr. Metzl, when he called me with my MRI result, he's like, dude, there's no way on earth you ran 60 miles on this knee. He goes, I said to him three times, this is the wrong MRI. It can't be him because people with your injury are wheeled into my office in a wheelbarrow or they're in a wheelchair and they're like rolled in. He goes, and you're walking around smiling all like hyped up, all full <laughs> of energy. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm all hyped up because I finished the 60 miles. And he goes, dude, how do you run 60 miles on an acute medial femoral condyle fracture? I'm wow. like, you know, I don't know. We can do a lot of crazy things, as you know, because most of it is right between here, which is Goggins. And it was also the coldest day of the winter. And I think it helped me out a lot, Don. It was so cold. There was no one out there. I didn't have any music on. I didn't have any podcasts going. I just, I think it just froze my knee to the point where it hurt when I first started, but it didn't really, I didn't really feel it after that. Cause if I did, I would have been like limping and running funny. And I wasn't, I, I think I just ran my way through it. And then, you know, obviously it wasn't good. And then I got the MRI and, you know, it was a long, it was a long time off, man. I was sidelined for uh, three months and then he let me try and that didn't work. So it ended up being like four, four months and, you know, which is why I got back to the bike like you, like you did. 
um, because it kept me from totally losing my shit. Um, (laughs) But the biking was good and Central Park and riding and doing some 9W or even the indoor miles. And it just kept me from from totally losing it. But but thank God. No, I'm okay now. I mean, you know, knock on wood, knock on my head. Um, But I'm just like, you know, ridiculously out of shape, as you know, because I don't care who you are, whether you're 20, 40, 60, I don't care how fit you are. You can't run a step for four months. It is a really slow uh, process to get back. And, you know, for somebody, as you have been through some stress fractures, man, you got to be super cautious. And I have been incredibly cautious. And I'm just trying to run everything super slow just to make sure I'm healthy. And, you know, whatever I put up for these couple of races, I'll look back at it and I'll laugh about it at some point. And, you know, maybe hopefully, maybe six months out beyond that, when I really have some time to start putting some real work in again. Hopefully I won't, I won't be so slow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then you'll want to run with me again. Cause right now you're probably like, I'm not going to run with Rod. He's too slow right now. (laughs) Oh man. Good stuff. So, um, before we let you roll out of here, I want you to give us a little, uh, give us a little pitch on fix and like kind of where the idea came from. Cause it's a bespoke, fitness recovery studio which is literally has the most amazing equipment but like where did the idea come from for you and like how did that kind of all come to be because i've never actually asked you yeah so thanks for asking we we developed the the place because of my injuries honestly um 2017 you know 2018 going through these these injuries i was uh i became aware of like different modalities that were available like even just like Norma tech boots, um, cryotherapy started popping up in the city. You started seeing athletes, like sharing more about that on social media. And I found myself going to a, like a chiropractor and finish line for boots and then a chiro, a, a cryotherapy place. And I'm like working full time and running and running around the city. I'm like, Jesus, so like, where's the place that just has it all? Um, and there were even modalities where there, you know, the city didn't have at the time. And so fix was really born, born out of that idea. It was, um, a place where you could go kind of to keep, you know, you elevated and keep you from, uh, being injured and, um, and also help just, you know, everyday, you know, folks that maybe don't train that, you know, are just everyone in New York's grinding. I mean, it's, um, it's a wellness studio, really. It's, you know, you can pop in and do light therapy for 10 minutes and, and be, feel energized and go back, go about your day or, or jump in a flotation tank or dry flotation tank and, and meditate for 10, 20 minutes and, um, and just feel good again. Um, so, so it's evolved, you know, originally there's a place that we built, you know, for athletes, um, to keep them on their journey, you know, to keep them from being injured and, um, you know, to help them elevate, you know, their game. And, um, now it's, you know, having people come in that, you know, have different, you know, things going on like nerve pain or rheumatoid arthritis and are just looking for alternative medicine. Um, it's just evolved into more of just a, a wellness studio now. And it's, um, which is cool because, you know, now we, we see all sorts of different folks coming in the door. Love it. And I can vouch for what a great place it is. The cryo is awesome. You know, the light, the light chamber room, whatever that thing is called, the red light, <laughs> the red light room is awesome. Uh, the flotation tag, it's all good. I mean, I have my Norma techs at home, but it's still, it's so funny, even though I have my own right on my own couch, it's different, man. When you're hanging out in a different chair and you got some people to chat with and you know, it's, it's just a, it's a good environment for sure. So maybe at the bottom of your episode code, we'll throw a, we'll throw a little fix code in there. 
uh, to get people to come by the studio and check it out. Give them a little, give them a little club club code discount of some sort to get them to come in the doors and check it out. Because man, you got to keep if you want to grind those miles and you want to hit big goals, you gotta you gotta take care of your body. Very important stuff. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely do a Ron runs uh, code for twenty percent off or something. That that'd be perfect. Love it. Ron runs NYC for 20. We love it, baby. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on, uh, Don, your story's inspiring as hell. Um, I've loved getting to know you a little better for sure. Um, you shared some great stuff that's definitely going to move the needle with people and the story's going to resonate. Uh, so uh, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. No, thank you for uh, having me on. I'm so glad we got to do it today. Yeah. And so we close out every episode. We tell everybody to keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was inspiring stuff from Don Snellings. I'm so grateful. He was so open sharing all of his journey with the Run Chats audience. I have no doubt it will inspire and help many people that are either on the front end, middle end, or the back end of the struggles that Don has been through. So as you often do, I appreciate you sharing this type of episode with others you feel it could really help lift up and inspire and get them moving. I appreciate you all doing that very much via Instagram stories, Facebook, or any other challenge. Word of mouth works as well too, people. We appreciate it all. Every single one of those shares helps us get more people subscribed to the podcast channel and helps us get great guests like Don to come on and share their inspiring stories. So thank you all for continuing to do that and help us build out our Run Chats platform, a platform of positivity. I hope you all keep grinding, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Peace out.